Amen. What's up, church? What a joy to be together today. Uh, man, I am so stinking proud of you guys. That was such a beautiful time of prayer together. I really did. I told the staff I wanted to do this. And then I said, what if nobody comes up? <laughs> uh, but man, God is good. Uh, although God is so good that I now have to really get through this sermon. So <laughs> uh, we're in Acts chapter 15. If you guys want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, 16, I'm sorry. We're opening up Acts chapter 16 today. Uh, while you're turning there, I do have a cool announcement to share with you guys, an exciting one. Uh, we let you guys know several weeks ago that uh, our elders, as well as the, uh, the, the leadership team at West County Bible Church, had voted to recommend that we move forward, joining our churches together and figuring out what that looks like. And those teams have begun to meet together and plan. And part of that process is scheduling some of what we're calling preview gatherings, where we'll be joining both the two churches together to kind of try and try on uh, what this would look like if we joined together to plant a church together. Uh, and those are now on the calendar. You'll be getting an email uh, with information on this this week. But the first one is Sunday, September 12th. Uh, we will be gathering in this space for two gatherings, both of which will be in the morning. Uh, yeah, we can, we can cheer that. Uh, 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. in this space. Um, and it'll be awesome. We'll get to do a couple of those over the month of September, and, and I'm so serious when I say this, guys. We, as elders, have been telling you guys this since the first day we talked about this. Your family, and I trust you guys, and I trust that you guys have been praying over our whole church as we navigate this thing over the last several months, and so we want you to come to this and experience it and be prayerful and write down notes and let us know what the Spirit tells you in that experience so that we can um, come together in our collective wisdom and trust of the Spirit as a church. Sound good? Awesome. So all of you, I want to see you Sunday, September 12th. And everyone who's watching online at home, I want to see you Sunday, September 12th. It's going to be fun. 9 a.m., 10.45 a.m. It's going to be great. Um, yeah, that's that. All right, we'll jump in. So if you guys know me, you probably have met my family. You know my, uh, my wonderful kids. I have a daughter named Millie. She just turned six. And she is in this wonderful, wonderful stage of development where she lives and breathes imaginative play. I mean, this is the language of Millie's heart is imaginative play. And so if she wants to connect with you, she invites you to play with her imaginatively. And I'm telling you guys, it is beautiful to watch my daughter's imagination come to life. And if you've gotten the joy of parenting, like, you know what I'm talking about with this. Like, to see my daughter come to life and creating these worlds and playing with her little toys and, and just the way she, like, I mean, honestly, like, she's a fanfic writer's, like, dream because of the stuff she mashes together. I sat one night and listened to her weave this tale together about how the Enterprise beamed her and Bilbo Baggins and Luke Skywalker down to the surface of Mount Doom so they could battle a coalition of Darth Vader, Smog, and the White Witch to save the Piven it was amazing. This is how her brain works, and it's so much fun. And she will invite me or invite Kim into sitting with her to play with her Polly Pockets or her Legos or her stuffed animals or whatever it is that's catching her fancy that day. And it is such a beautiful thing to witness for about five minutes. I'm going to be real with you guys for a second, and if you need to be judgy with me, that's okay, because I might deserve some of it. <laughs> but here's the thing. When my daughter wants to play with me, 
She starts out by saying, okay, you pick your people, we'll play, we'll tell stories, we're kind of going back and forth, being imaginative. But about five minutes in, she flips this switch, and rather than us playing together, she will start telling me what my characters are going to say. So she'll say, say this, okay, and then she'll respond, and she'll go, okay, now your character says this, and then she'll, and she'll keep going. And usually, if I'm being blunt with you guys, usually that's when I peace out. I'm like, oh, bummer, dad's got work to do, see you later. But if I stick with it, it escalates even beyond that, where she'll, at some point, just take the character out of my hand, and she'll start moving it around, just feeding me the lines because she wants me to say the lines in a different voice. And I'm not going to lie, guys. Again, this is where the judgment comes in. I hate that. <laughs> it pushes all my buttons so much. I usually get just mad and quit at that point. But what I've started doing recently, and this is, oh, man, is I just zone out and do something else, and then I just repeat the lines back to her while she's just playing her game and she's telling me to repeat lines. I just do it and just don't actually engage her, uh, which is awful. But, but here's the thing, guys. Well, what I'm essentially saying is this. There comes a point if you sit down to play Legos with my daughter where really you're just along for the ride. <laughs> you're not actually playing Legos. She's playing Legos and you're present in the room providing voice acting. You're, you're providing some talent. And, and I was thinking of that as I was reading our text this week. And the simple reason is this. We're going to be talking about our as the church, our relationship to the Holy Spirit. How do we engage the Spirit as the modern church, as, as Christians here and today? And I don't know about you guys, but myself, oftentimes, especially for some of us that come from a little more Baptistic or a little more Reformed background, oftentimes it's really easy to look at how God works and just kind of assume that we're along for the ride. But I'm telling you guys, the Holy Spirit is a much better partner than my daughter is in imaginative play. The truth is, and we're going to see this in our text, is that, beloved, you, you as, as, the, as the sons and daughters of Jesus, as the adopted family of God, as the blood-bought, washed church, you can hear from the Spirit of the Lord here and today and right now. And you can actually live an intimate relationship with Him, and you can actually follow Him in risk and in faith and in trust in really beautiful ways. I'm excited to talk about that. So Acts chapter 16, starting in the first verse, we read this. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And this, beloved, is the word of the Lord. Pray with me.
Father God, we thank you so much for the gift, for the privilege of your church. Father, we pray today as we take a few minutes to dig into your word, we ask that you would be our discipler, that you would illuminate the text to us, that you would draw us the truth. But God, I want to pray very specifically today that you would give us tender hearts. You would give us open ears, open eyes, a tenderness, a humility to actually hear from you today in a way our hearts need. God, we want to be people who actually follow after you. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to be prideful. We want to be your followers. So God, we pray that you would lead us, help us to take the next step in that direction today. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So, let me put our text back in the overarching story of Acts. So if you recall that we, we kind of transitioned from the church in Jerusalem over to the church in Antioch, and the church in Antioch, being led by the Spirit, set apart Paul and Barnabas for this work, this specific missionary work. They went and they traveled throughout the region of Galatia, that's modern-day Turkey, right in the center of where Turkey is at, and they preached the gospel and planted six churches along this specific path, facing really intense persecution. Paul was stoned at one point. Right, And then they make their way back to Antioch and they celebrate this work God is doing, that God has planted these churches in a new place, that more people are coming to know Jesus, coming to find salvation, being indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that spices up this entire controversy within the church about how these originally Jewish Christians and now originally Gentile Christians actually mingled together. Up until that point, pretty much all of the church were Jewish first. They were Jews who heard about the Messiah Jesus and and converted over, but now we have Gentiles who've never heard of Moses and they're skipping straight over to Jesus and finding not only salvation, but having the Holy Spirit come upon them in power, just like he did to the apostles at Pentecost. And it sparked this entire debate of what do we do with this? And a certain sect of the church said, well, they are all not operating in faith. They need to convert to Judaism before they can convert to Christianity. They all need to be circumcised. They need to be faithful Jews before they can be faithful Christians. And so they came together in the first church council in Jerusalem and the leaders at Antioch and the leaders in Jerusalem came together and prayed and discerned and landed on this idea that no, praise God, by the way, in fact, you do not have to convert to Judaism before you convert to Christianity. And that if God is already doing the work of saving Gentiles and giving them his Holy Spirit, who are they to add extra burdens? And so instead, they write this letter telling all the churches that we don't expect you to be Jewish. You can receive Christ and walk in freedom and walk in joy and walk in worship. All we ask is that you make sure your lives are set apart from the pagan religions you grew up in, the pagan Roman and Greek religions you grew up in. But please, walk in the freedom of Jesus and don't bear the burdens of our forefathers. So Paul and Barnabas head back to Antioch. They celebrate this amazing thing God is doing. Not only has God planted these churches all throughout Galatia, but now God has brought the church, the now diverse church, back into unity. It's this amazing scene. And then right after that, in the text, Paul decides, man, we should go and visit all these churches again, give them this this teaching from the Jerusalem church, encourage them, make sure they're all still strong. And that strikes up this division between Paul and Barnabas. There was this young man named John Mark, who had accompanied them on the first missionary journey. But at some point, 
He got too rough and he turned around and went home. And Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance. And Paul said, no, that won't actually work because he's shown he can't handle how hard the trip is. And they divided over it. And Barnabas and John Mark went on their original route going across Cyprus and up into Galatia. And then Paul partnered with Silas, one of the men who had come back to Antioch from Jerusalem with this this, this kind of ruling from the Jerusalem Council, and they made their way by land from Antioch over. And that's where our text picks up. Whew. A big journey. Paul and Silas. Actually, I think we have a map of it. Is it up? And you can see, if you have, a lot of your Bibles have maps in the back, but, but geography really is kind of important to understanding what's going on in Acts. And so we'll be referencing this kind of thing relatively often. You can see in the top right corner there, that star, Antioch, that's the home-based church where they're going from. Originally, Paul and Barnabas, when they took their first journey, went by ocean over to Salmas in the island of Cyprus. But now, Paul and Silas head north and then meander west across the top of the coast. In these regions, you can see Cappadocia, Galatia, Asia. This is all that, that whole chunk is all modern-day Turkey. But they make their way back, and they land at these cities, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, which were the last three cities Paul and Barnabas visited together. That's where our text picks up. Paul and Silas making their way by land, encouraging the churches as they go, and they land back at Derby, Lystra, and Iconium, where they ended the first journey. And now we're introduced to this young man named Timothy. And if you've read the whole of the New Testament, you know Timothy's a a pretty important figure in the early church. He gets a couple books named after him later on, right? But Timothy, at this point, is this young believer who has become well-known and respected amongst this family of churches. What we find out when Paul and Silas make their way back to these churches, and by the way, if you recall, when they first went there, these churches were planted in the midst of intense persecution, Right? That when Paul and Silas come back, these churches aren't just thriving, they're working together, they're communicating and ministering to each other and raising up leaders. And we're introduced to this young man, Timothy, who's, who's well spoken of by multiple churches in the region because he's stepped up and is offering service and leadership to multiple churches in this region. And Paul just sees the calling and potential in this young man and says, this guy's got to come with us. Which, which hopefully, at this point, when you look at how Paul responds here, he meets Timothy and says, oh, this guy's got tons of potential. He's got to come with us. Let's circumcise him. And then they hit the road. Hopefully, when you see that part, that raises a question mark for you. That seems kind of strange for two reasons. The first one is, Paul broke fellowship with Barnabas over taking a young, inexperienced guy with him on the journey. And now he takes a young an experienced guy with him on the journey. That's kind of weird, but you notice, you actually see Paul's emphasis here. What does he know about Timothy? He knows Timothy's reputation. Timothy's well-spoken of, and this is not the church at Jerusalem. This is the church at Derby and Lystra and Iconium where persecution is really intense, where Paul got drugged outside the city and stoned and left for dead. This is the context where Timothy is raised up and is serving the church and is well thought of. So Paul's actually really concerned about his reputation and his ability to step up to the task. But then he takes him and circumcises him, which again, kind of wild, but, but, but also wild because we just had a church council over this issue, right? I mean, Paul is literally carrying with him the letter that says, 
hey, guys, you don't have to get circumcised. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not sure how Timothy may have felt about that, right? I'm reading that letter like, wait a minute, man. But, but there is something here that I think gives us a deeper picture into Paul's heart and Paul's calling in ministry. You see, Timothy was half Jewish, which by the best understanding of the text at that day for practicing Jews was a big no-no. His mother was Jewish and had converted to Christianity. His father was a Gentile. This was a huge deal. And so Paul, by basically saying, look, dude, sorry, you've got to convert to Judaism if you're going to come with me on the missionary journey, so snip, snip. Uh, Him doing that was actually really important because his heritage would have been a massive distraction in an area of the world where the church was already facing really intense persecution, specifically by the Jewish population, for Paul to take Timothy with him as a half-Jew, half-Gentile person would have been such a distraction. It would have taken away from the gospel proclamation. So Paul just says, look, man, I've got the letter. You don't have to convert to Judaism. You don't have to be circumcised. But if you want to go on this missionary journey with me, you do. Because we can't let anything get in the way of the gospel. No distractions. Nothing is going to get in the way of the gospel being proclaimed to those people who need it. So here it is, bud. And Timothy rises to the occasion. He steps up to that. He makes that sacrifice. And now our newly formed team, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they make their way. They finish their task. They deliver the letters. The churches celebrate. It says that the churches are strengthened by this decision handed down from the Jerusalem church, that the churches are growing in number daily. It's what they set out to do is done. But now Paul, Silas, and Timothy find themselves up in modern-day Turkey in this area And they go, what's next? And then we get this really beautiful and interesting picture of this text. You see, they begin to travel, trying to take the gospel with them, right? And it says the Holy Spirit hems them in. We get this image almost like the Holy Spirit is corralling them. You can't go here. You can't go here. You can't go there. He pushes them until they land in the city, Troas, this, which we put the map back up, is this port city in between modern-day Turkey and modern-day Greece, in between uh, what the Romans called Asia and what the Romans called Thrace or, or, or uh, Macedonia. They're sitting in this port city going, God, you keep telling us no. What the heck do you want us to do? And then Paul has this vision where a Macedonian says, come and help us. Come help us. And they interpret from that, God is telling us to take the gospel to Macedonia. So they jump on a ship and they go, and we're going to pick up that story next week about how the gospel first enters into Europe. It is an amazing story. I'm excited for us to get into it. But today, today, I want us to talk about something very simple, which is this. Why does it seem like the early church so easily and so clearly hears from the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you guys have noticed this as we've gone through Acts, but it seems like the early church's relationship with the Holy Spirit is just so intense. I mean, they literally say things like, I don't know, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to tell you this is the deal. And now that's the deal. And that's what they do. The Holy Spirit speaks so clearly to Paul and Silas and Timothy that they know beyond the shadow of a doubt, we're not supposed to go here, we're not supposed to go there. And then he gets this prophetic vision slash dream and they go, oh, I guess this is where we're going to go. Guys, that's wild. 
I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to guess that's pretty different from most of our, as the church today's, experience of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to ask a really important question. What's the difference? What, why is that different? What, why is what we're experiencing and we're pursuing seemingly different from the early church? Because we're still in the age of the church, right? I mean, like, Jesus came on earth and he accomplished his work and he rose from the dead and he promised one day he'll return and then he sent the Holy Spirit. That all happened, like, up to Pentecost. And now we're in the age of the church awaiting his return. So what is the difference? Should there be a difference? Guys, I'm willing to go out on a limb and bet that this week... If someone comes to your GC and they go, I've got amazing news. God gave me a dream and a vision last night where he told me to go do this and I'm getting ready to go do it. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to guess your GC would go, hey, let's, uh, let's talk about that a little more, right? I'm going to guess we'd have a little bit of hesitation and want to discuss that a little more. But that doesn't seem to be how the early church engage the Spirit. seems like they heard him so clearly and trusted him so immediately. So what is the difference? On some level, we have to acknowledge theologically that there isn't really a difference. On some level. We are the church awaiting Christ's return. Scripture says that when you, when you receive salvation, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells within you as a promise, sealing you, guaranteeing your salvation until the return of Christ. We believe as Trinitarians, as followers of the triune God, that the Spirit of God dwells within the believer, right? It's a supernatural thing. So why do we experience Him differently? I think a lot of us, if we're being honest, our gut reaction against some of this stuff is just that we've seen it so horribly misused, right? We've seen some of the ways that folk who've come out of certain faith traditions, maybe more charismatic faith traditions or different things like that, or even just televangelists, have spoken so boldly and so arrogantly, claiming the name of the Holy Spirit over things that, if we're honest, are, are at best foolish and at worst destructive and abusive, right? Claiming the authority of Jesus over things that are ludicrous. And I'm thinking of guys like, like a Kenneth Copeland in 2015 telling his church that God, the Holy Spirit, had told them to buy a third private jet to move him from place to place and that the church needed to give to that. Because God had given him that word. That's a real thing. You can go and Google that, right? And we see stuff like that. These really obvious, ludicrous misuses of the name of the Spirit and the word of the Spirit. And the reality is when it gets down to it, when someone says, well, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like God's telling me this. That's just so squishy and subjective. And we've seen it misused so many times that a lot of us just go, no, that's not a thing. I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want people to go, oh, you're a follower of Jesus, right? So like, the, like Kenneth Copeland, like that stuff, right? No, I don't, I don't want to be connected to those things. And so we throw the baby out with the bathwater. But beloved, we have to acknowledge the truth that if you want to use the scripture to justify why the Holy Spirit does not directly lead and, and speak to his church today, you will be hard-pressed to actually back that point up from Scripture. 
the overwhelming teaching of Scripture is that the Spirit directly leads his church. And that's a weird thing to think about. Really quick, before Kim and I were married, I had a season that was very, very dark, very hard. Some of the deepest doubts I've ever had. I was, I've been laid off from a ministry position because of economic stuff going on at that time. And I mean, it was just one of the darkest times in my life in terms of depression and doubt and wrestling with my call. And in the midst of that, Kim and I found ourselves in this incredibly charismatic church on a Sunday. And we didn't know a soul there. And after that gathering was over, the pastor and the elders walked up to me and Kim, and he just said, you're a pastor, and you're really hurting. And I think Jesus wants us to encourage you today. Having never met me, by the way. And then he preceded him and his elders to pray very vividly and specifically and prophetically over me and Kim, stuff that has to a T come to pass. That's powerful, and that's real. Holy Spirit works in supernatural ways, right? So how do you have both of those things at the same stinking time? How do you have some guy saying, well, the Holy Spirit told me you all need to buy me a new private jet. And the Holy Spirit saying, God told me that you are a pastor who needs to be encouraged today. How do both those things exist? How, do we, how, do, how the heck do we discern that stuff? Well, this leads us to the key difference between the church in Acts and the church today. And that's that we have this. You have to remember, the church in Acts did not have the whole Bible. I don't know, this is a weird reference. This is a weird pull, but I'm going for it. I don't know how many people in this room are old enough to remember Mel Brooks' movie Spaceballs. You know what I'm talking about? In that movie, the bad guys rent the movie Spaceballs, the movie they're in, and they watch it and fast forward it past where they are so they can see what the good guys are doing so they can go get them. It's ridiculous, right? But I mean, it's not like Paul and Barnabas could go and read the Bible. They didn't have, it wasn't like, they only had the Old Testament, the Acts. They, they couldn't read the end of Acts. They were living Acts, right? So of course, the early church has to say, well, it seemed good to me and the Holy Spirit that people should have to get circumcised because they had, they had nothing to turn to. Guys, I have, I have great, great news for you. You don't have to go to the Holy Spirit and ask him what his will is regarding circumcision and conversion. It's in there. It's already been written down and preserved. The Lord's will regarding that matter is right there. And so you can read it. You don't have to say it seemed good to me in the Holy Spirit. You can go, oh, look, Acts chapter 10. Sounds good. Rock and roll. Move on. That's a wonderful gift, right? So, so there is a difference, but here's the catch to that. See, some of, that, some of us use that and we go, well, we don't need the Holy Spirit to speak to us anymore. We've got the Bible. But here's the problem, guys. The Word of God, which is perfect, which isn't inerrant, which is inspired by God, apart from the movement of the living God, is a dangerous thing. And you can't just say, well, I can read the Bible, so I, I hear God's will in that. You can't. I know that sounds wild to say it that way, but beloved, Satan used the scripture to tempt Jesus. And before you just go, well, he took it out of context, go read the references Satan brought up. He actually exegeted them pretty well. He actually knew the Bible in and out. I'm pretty confident that if Jesus threw himself off the temple, he could command a legion of angels to grab him and keep him from touching his foot upon the ground, right? But that was not God's will for him in that moment. Because I sat 
with a man who was using a distorted version, his understanding of the scripture to justify his violent abuse against his spouse and why she couldn't leave him. And he was very confident in his understanding of scripture because the scripture wielded apart from the living and active word of God can be a dreadful weapon. And he was taking it totally out of context and mishandling it. But you know what? It was the word of God. And he was reading the words from the page and applying them in a way that was so wrong and so evil and so destructive. It was demonic. It was satanic. Because we desperately need the Holy Spirit. He is the one who interprets the word for us, who, who opens our eyes and opens our ears and illuminates the text to us. Because we desperately need him. So once again, how the heck do you actually discern it? How do you do it? If, 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 if the same God, if two different people can say, well, the Holy Spirit told me this, the Holy Spirit told me this, and one of them is from him, and one of them is just obviously garbage, and if, if they can take the same book, and one person can proclaim the gospel and the power of the Spirit, and its life and its joy, and someone else can distort those words for evil means, how the heck do you actually know when you're hearing from the Spirit? How do, we, how do we navigate this mess? And I'll, I'll land with this. I'll, I'll try and go through this quickly, but I think it's really important for us. We do it with Jesus. And I know that's like the most pastory thing I could say, but this is so important, guys. Turn over to Hebrews chapter one. I want you to look at this. Hebrews chapter one, the first two verses. It says this. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance, the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Woo! For thousands of years, the church has referred to Jesus as the Word of God, the Logos. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Beloved, God's will, God's person, God's Spirit is perfectly revealed in the person and work of Jesus. So if you want to discern the will of the Spirit, if you want to know when that prayer, that prophecy is junk, when it's from the Lord, if you want to know how to rightly engage this word, there's only one way to do that, and that is to be intimately connected to the person of Jesus, because it is through Jesus that God is known. It is through Jesus that his will is known. So if you want to be connected, you say, that sounds really cool, man, that's awesome. What the heck does that mean? I'm going to get about as practical as I can get with you on this. If you want to know Jesus you got to hang out with him. You have to do things like talk to him. Listen to him. Sing to him. Read the word that he preserved for you. Get together with his family. Beloved, how about this? Take communion. God preserved that for us, commanded, commanded that of us. 
If you want to discern the will of the Spirit, if you want to hear the voice of the Spirit, if you want to know, be able, as the Scripture says, to discern spirits, right? Paul talks about that in 1 Thessalonians and in, in 1 Corinthians. You need to be intimately connected to Jesus, submitted to him as your Lord, receiving salvation. But, but, but more than that, church, communing with him. I mean, honestly, talk to him often. That's, that's, that's code word for pray. Sing to him. Meditate on him. Come to church and sing songs. Take communion with brothers and sisters. Fellowship with the family of God. Connect yourself to a church. Listen to the word proclaimed. Study the word on your own. Connect yourself to the person and work of Jesus, and you will begin to actually hear his voice in your life. That's how it works, church. It's how it works. The more intimately connected you are to him, the more accurately you will discern his voice when he speaks to you. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice because I'm a good shepherd because I'm with them. So beloved, I will, I, will, I will land this by saying this. Paul warned the Thessalonian church that they could quench the spirit. That they could live their life in such a way that they would not hear his voice. And that is a stark warning for us. Because you can live your life claiming the name of Christ and deaf to his voice. If you want to grow in sensitivity to the voice of Jesus, to the voice of his spirit, then you must be connected to him. Pursue him. Connect to his family. Sacrifice. Read your stinking Bible. You want to talk about discerning spirits. And you go, well, I just have this thought. I don't know if it's a thought from me or a thought from the Lord. Well, the Bible talks about that. It says, compare it to Scripture. Because God's Word is revealed in His Scripture, and He will never contradict Himself, which means you actually have to do the work of a whole biblical theology in your head in the moment and compare what that thought popped in your head was or what that prayer that was spoken over you was to what the whole of the Scripture says. And you go, that seems like way too big an ask. I have great news for you, church. The whole, like, read John 13 through 17 in the description of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It says that He will remind you of the teaching of Scripture. If you're sensitive to the voice of the Spirit and you're wondering what the Scripture says about something, he, he will help you. He will assist you. This is the work he does. If you want to hear from him, you have to be intimate with him. When was the last time you engaged the Lord in active repentance and detailed your sins to him and reveled in his joy and his forgiveness? What is the pet sin that the Holy Spirit has convicted you of that you refuse to engage Beloved, you want to numb your voice, you numb yourself to the voice of the Spirit, then ignore what he says. If you have a pet sin that you don't want to repent of, that you don't want to engage, that the Spirit has convicted you on once, and you feel like you don't hear his voice anymore, beloved, you need to know something. You already heard his voice. He told you to come to him in repentance. Engage that. Engage that habitual sin, engage that pet sin, and see how that pulls scales off your ears that you might hear him fresh again. Beloved, if you want to hear from the Spirit, you have to chase after him. Be intimate with Jesus. Seek him in his word. Seek him in his family. Seek him in your prayers. Seek him in your worship. And guys, this is where I'll end this. And band, you can come up. This is where I'll end this. 
If you want to be with Jesus, if you want to hear from him, you need to be where he is. Go where he is. And we know where the Lord Jesus is. Yes, he's here in this space. Yes, he's with your community. Yes, he's speaking through his word. But he is also out in the world seeking and saving the lost. When we say yes and we go and help the hurting and proclaim the gospel, we are chasing after him to be where he is, doing the work he's doing, just like Paul and Silas and Timothy, chasing after the Spirit, hearing his voice, following his leading to the work that he is doing. Beloved, you are not being carried along experiencing something you don't have any engagement in. You have the Holy Spirit living in you right here and right now. He loves you. He delights in you. He, he saved you. And he wants to speak to you here and now. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask you guys, we're going to sing a song, and this is one of those songs that just repeats the lines a lot. I want to invite you guys to let this song be sung over you. Consider these words. Consider this a prompt for you to pray and meditate for a moment. Beloved, the Holy Spirit, if you are in Christ, if you have received salvation, the Spirit of God dwells within you. And he delights in you. And he longs to lead you. He longs to teach you from his word. He longs to, to, to remind you of God's love for you and to bring you along in joy and to guide you in mission and to help you grow. He longs for those things. But you must be sensitive to him to hear it. He will not scream that in your ear. I mean, look, gosh, look at Elijah, how the Spirit of God spoke to him, not, not in the earthquake, not in the whirlwind, not in the fire. He spoke to him in a still, small voice. We got to be open to that. We got to be looking for that. We have to be ready to hear that, ready to act on it. So join with me. Church, I encourage you, come to the Spirit. Maybe you need to come to him in confession, telling him of the ways you have purposefully ignored his voice or gotten your life really loud so that you wouldn't hear him or walked in intellectual pride thinking you don't need to hear him because you got it pretty figured out. Come to him in confession. Come to Jesus in invitation. Tell Jesus you want to hear from him. See what he says to that. Let the... Let the band sing this over you when they're done Craig's going to come up and lead us in communion which I think is one of just the most beautiful practical invitations to come and be intimate with Jesus and hear from him so church let's prepare our hearts for that table a few minutes of prayer pray with me church God we we need you speak to us Humble us, quiet us, open us up to your voice. We want to be people who follow you.